Welcome to the RUF Berkeley podcast. RUF is a campus fellowship centered around experiencing and expressing the love of God to our campus, our classmates, and our community. For more information, check out our website at rufberkeley.com or find us on Instagram at rufberkeley. Romans 5, 18-19. It says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. First Corinthians 15, 21 through 22. For as by a man came death, by a man has also become the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So we're going to jump back into our series tonight, week two, uh, our series uh, with um, or on union with Christ. And tonight, we're going to talk about everybody's favorite topic, which is uh, sin. Tonight's sermon is on sin, of all things. And uh, here's why we're going to talk about that. I think um, it's important that we talk about sin because sin is what we need saving from. It's important that we talk about sin because sin is what we need saving from. I mentioned uh, last week that there are so many misunderstandings of salvation, so many thin ideas about it, the content of it uh, in our heads is often really thin, kind of paper thin, and then even our feelings about it are often thin. they're no deeper than perhaps our thoughts about um, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Um, and the ideas are often no more substantive than simply like, God wants you to be good, so like, cheer up. Maybe he'll help you. Um, and the the reason why I think that there are so many misunderstandings of uh, salvation and the gospel and really what Christianity is about The reason why I would submit to you is because we don't actually understand what sin is. And let me just stop now and say I don't presume to think that this will be the definitive piece on what sin is. In fact, I know it won't. I had quite a bit of difficulty. I have a lot of thoughts in my head right now as it relates to this topic, and I hope that we can even get to some of those this Friday for our um, kind of co-ed small group Friday morning. 9 a.m. Strata, or 8 a.m., I'm sorry, Strata, be there, grab coffee, we can talk about this more. Um, But um, nonetheless, uh, I wanted to at least begin the conversation uh, to unravel the layers, as it were, of sin and uh, the power of sin and the effects of sin and the reach of sin and those are the things that we often don't understand about sin. It's, it's power and its effect and its reach and its scope and its depth. And uh, therefore, because we don't, we don't often understand the remedy for sin. So here's my hope for tonight. Um, I hope that tonight we can truly grasp the ugliness of sin, not to lead us to some sort of self-despair, But I want us to grasp the ugliness, the wretchedness of sinfulness so that we might see with clarity the beauty of our Savior. 
that's why we need to focus on this. Um, it's not good news. The gospel is not good news if you don't know the bad news. If you don't know the bas- bad news, then the gospel, the good news, it's just news. Uh, it's it's just news, like anything else you'd see on television or read in the newspaper. And so we need to know the bad news. If we want to savor our Savior, we need to stomach the sin. We need to get honest about the reality of sinfulness, of the fall, of the curse and its effects, and what it actually does to God, uh, God's creation and God's people. And so uh, tonight we're going to talk about sin. And I think that I've reached my goal this evening where I'm only going to be talking for about 10 minutes or so. Um, and then we'll uh, let you go into discussion groups. Um, so let's talk about sin. The, the first thing I want to say about sin is that sin is uh, a parasite. Sin is a parasite. Now, um, a parasite... Uh, is an organism that that lives on or in a host organism, and it gets its food, it gets its livelihood, it gets its substance, or sorry, sustenance from, substance is not a word, sustenance is a word, uh, it, it gets its sustenance from or at the expense of its host, the thing that it's feeding off of. And so that's, that's uh, the first thing I want to talk about, that that's what sin does. That's what evil does. When I say the word sin, it's kind of synonymous with evil. If you want to use the word darkness, that is okay as well. These are all biblical terms and language that we see throughout Scripture. There's metaphors like death, um, blindness, deafness, uh, hardness. All of these things are images and words that kind of capture for us the reality of the fall of sin in the world And so what sin does, what evil does, is it's a parasite that feeds off the good. It feeds off of the good at the expense of the good. And it's important that we say it this way because God's creation, what God created, you, me, the world, and everything in the world, that creation was good before the fall. So if you go back to the very beginning of the Bible in, in Genesis 1 and 2, we have kind of two accounts of creation. They're not two contradictory accounts of creation. There are two accounts of creation that kind of highlight different aspects of who God is as he creates, both the transcendent God and the imminent God, a God who's near. So Genesis 1 gives us like this transcendent, powerful God who speaks and the world is created. And then in Genesis 2, we have the eminent God where his personal name is actually used in the original Hebrew, Yahweh. So we get this this sense of a God who's both mighty and powerful and strong, and he can speak, and the world comes into existence um, out of nothing, right? And then we get this uh, eminent, personal God who walks with his people. Uh, And I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but... That in and of itself is a, is a picture of what the, the purpose of God and humanity really is, is to dwell together in unity. God always intended to dwell with his people and for his people to dwell with him. And so before sin enters into the world, the creation was good. It was good before the fall. And so sin is not something that can live on its own. Unlike the good, right? Sin needs to leech itself onto something. Evil needs to leech itself onto something in order to live and to mutate and to spread. 
And whatever it attaches itself to, it devolves and it uh, it deteriorates, it decays, it corrodes. It's kind of one way to think of it. It's a decreation of God's good creation. It it sucks the life out of life. Um, You guys follow me on that? point thus far it's a parasite right so it 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 clings to the host of god's good creation and it feeds off of it and it perverts it and it mutates it and it deteriorates it Uh, if i remember correctly back last semester some of you were on this call i had a good friend of mine dr jordan anderson uh who is uh um is at harvard now and um and he was talking to us about uh covid19 kind of just dropping some knowledge on us. And if I remember correctly, um, this is certainly beyond my realm of expertise, but if I remember correctly, this is what he said is that COVID-19 is, quote, a good virus in the sense that it survives easily because it spreads easily and it kills its hosts slowly. Uh, So it's good in that sense. It can stay alive. It can kind of go everywhere quickly. Unlike, say, Ebola, which is more deadly, right? It kills fast, but at the same time, it's hard. Uh, it has a hard time staying alive because uh, it kills its host so quickly. So it's, it doesn't spread as rapidly. I think that was something how it went. Nonetheless, the, the illustration still stands. Uh, let's just presume that's true. Sin is akin to COVID in that sense, but it's also deadly, as deadly or even deadlier than Ebola. It, it spreads easily uh, and, in fact, perfectly to everyone uh, without. Um, um, exemption, and its kill rate is 100%, but it often is a slow kill that sucks the life out, life out of us while it's spreading to others. And so the, the, the parasitic effects of sin begin right after Genesis 1 and 2 in Genesis 3, where we see the entrance of sin into the world, where the serpent begins to call into question God's will for his people. Um, the quote itself that the serpent says to Eve is, did God really say? So he's, he's calling into question our ability to trust the creator. He's calling into question the very um, terms of the relationship, the covenant that exists between God and his people. Did God really say this? And uh, the fall starts with Adam And it infects Adam, and it spreads like a parasite to all of us. And we'll hit on that a little bit more later. So the first thing about sin is that sin is parasitic. It's a parasite. Second thing I want to say is that sin is um, unhuman. It's unhuman. Now, I realize that unhuman is not a word, but I think it captures well what I mean. And what I mean is this, is that Sin turns us into something that is not human. It turns us into something that is not human. It dehumanizes us, particularly by separating us from the life of God. So after the fall, Adam and Eve are banished from the garden, from communion with God. It dehumanizes us by separating us from the life of God. And life with God is what it means to be human. That is a fundamental aspect to human identity. Relationship, union and communion with God. 
But what sin does is it separates us from union with God. And, and one of the things that it does is it, cre- uh, it creates an illusion of autonomy, right? So we see this uh, everywhere in society today. To be truly human, they would have us believe, is to be as independent and as autonomous and as free as possible, to kind of do your own thing and create your own self, to follow your own truth, to speak your own truth. And freedom here is defined as a lack of any outside or external force that's that's coercing you um, to, to be something that you don't want to be or, or to be with somebody that you don't want to be with or to have some life that you don't want, etc. Right? Freedom is... is uh, is defined as um, you're you're totally exempt, or um, there's a better word for it that's not coming to my mind. You're you're just not um, you dictate life on your own terms. No one and nothing can tell you anything about what you need to do because true humanity, the source of true humanity, is found in here. It's the illusion of autonomy. Sin also is unhuman in addition uh, to creating this illusion of autonomy. Uh, it, it, um, it's also inhuman in that it disorders our relationship, our relation uh, to the world and to God. Uh, and the reason why is because it turns us inward. So prior to the fall, like our loves were ordered rightly. We loved God and we loved neighbor and we loved his world. And everything was seen as stewarding that for his glory and for our good and for the flourishing of God's world. Um, but after the fall, our loves are disordered. Our relationship to God and to others and to his world is disordered. And so rather than trusting in God, um, Rather than trusting that God is, is for us, we question God. Our attachment to God is disordered, and if that is disordered, then everything else is disordered. I don't want to be simplistic there on that point. I mean, if you, if you think about it, the heartbeat of our relationship with God in the garden was trust. Was Adam and Eve trusting that the path that God had made for them um, was good, was for their good, and yet they began to question uh, whether or not God was actually for them. Their connection and unity with God was disordered. And if that's disordered, then everything else in our lives is disordered. So rather than uh, channeling our ambition and our drive to be good steward, uh, good students and good stewards of God's world, which are all good things, right? Ambition and drive is a good thing. But rather than channeling it to be good students or stewards of God's world, we grow in anxiety over grades. We grow in anxiety over our performance. We begin to compare and we begin to compete. We're disordered. Rather than growing in love and in service to our friends and our neighbors, what do we begin to do? We begin to commodify those relationships to build our networks and to get a leg up. We're disordered. Rather than um, nurturing intimacy and protecting and honoring our bodies and other people's bodies, we consume sex 
and we objectify bodies and human beings. We're disordered. Rather than than opening up, right, and inviting people into the vulnerabilities of our lives and into the pain of our lives, we shut down and we continue to brand ourselves as pretty and perfect. We continue to pretend. We continue to fortify. We have been disordered and we do not know how to relate to one another and we do not know how to relate to God. So sin is inhuman because it disconnects us, or sorry, it's unhuman because it disconnects us and disorders our life with God and his world. Uh, So the last thing, uh, so sin is a parasite. Sin is unhuman. And then lastly, sin is an isolated community. Sin is an isolated community. Now, what do I mean by this? Um, Sin and the fall, as we just mentioned, it it disconnects you from from union and uh, it disconnects you from life with God, your union with God, which is what we were made for. And what it does is it displaces you into union with Adam. It disconnects you from your life with God and displaces you into life with Adam. So life in this world is always lived in union, but you are either united to Christ or you are either united to Adam. And I want us to look at the verses that we read tonight. We're actually just going to look at 1 Corinthians, but I want you to know that the Romans passage is saying the exact same thing, and I'm just going to quote one of the verses that we read in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. You see this two-man theology. Sorry if we're getting a bit luxury, but I just don't know how to communicate it other than that. There's this two-man paradigm for understanding how we have our existence. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. And then listen to this language. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all, sorry, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. In Adam, in Christ. Sin here is kind of fundamentally an inness. It's a union It's being tethered existentially and vitally to a person who leads to death. And you are dead in Adam. This gets at the mystery of the fall and and of sin. When Adam fell in the garden, and bring these questions up Friday because this is worth unpacking. Um, When Adam fell in the garden, we all collectively... We all, all of the human race, fell in him. So uh, in Adam, therefore, we are an isolated community. Sin is an isolated community because we are detached and we are disordered and we are disconnected from the vital, life-giving, love-enriching life of God. So 
life in God is just that, it's life. But according to Paul here, life in Adam is death. It's an isolated community of death. So what Paul means here and elsewhere, like in Romans and plenty of places throughout his epistles, is that what is true of Adam is true of you if you are not in Christ. You are either in Christ or you are in Adam, and whatever is true of Adam is true of you. And, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but whatever is true of Adam is true of you. His sin is your sin. His guilt is your guilt. His pollution and corruption is your pollution and corruption. And this is not to say that you don't carry that on in your own life. But it is to say that you were kind of born into it. So like salvation, sin is a union as well. But unlike the life that's found in union with Christ, sin in union with Adam is in death. The one man brings life and the other man brings death. So here's what that means. That means that before you were born, before you had done anything good or bad, you were in sin. You were born into it. It's not simply an action that you commit after you're able to kind of walk around and do things. It certainly is actions, but it's also a nature. There's a sinful nature that you inherited from Adam. And so here's kind of what I want us to walk away with tonight. What this means is that this renders you and me totally incapable of pursuing the good. Rightly understood. Sin means and renders us totally incapable of pursuing the good. And more importantly, this means that sin renders us totally incapable of moving towards God. Sin is not just COVID-19, where like, You might be in the bed for a few days, but you can kind of still have some physical activity, maybe take some vitamin C, vitamin D, maybe get over it. If you're young enough, your youngs are healthy enough to to punch through it. Sin is death. You're dead in your trespasses and sins, as Paul says. Dead people can't do things. So what that means is that we are totally incapable. I really want this to resonate with you. You are incapable of moving towards God. Okay, so why is this good news? That's the big question. Why is that good news? Because that sounds like horrible news. Well, sin itself is not good news, obviously. Sin has... um, corrosive and decaying effects that are in our friendships, in our lives interpersonally, in our families, uh, in our grades. Everything that we do is marred by this brokenness, this disorderedness. And we're constantly trying to fix the world, right? Sin is not good news. But as this series unfolds, what I pray that you will realize is that what you were incapable of doing because of sin God was more than capable of doing. That's the good news. That's the good news. When you are dead, you cannot walk. You cannot take steps. And so what this means is that God has taken steps towards you in Christ. 
And that's why the gospel is beautiful. It's beautiful because God loves first and God moves towards us first and God takes dead people and he makes them alive. That's what Paul means for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive. That's the beauty. That's just a taste, right, of what's going to be unfolding in this series and why I hope that you'll stay with us. And there's certainly more to unpack about sin. Uh, Friday, I hope we can kind of maybe unpack some more specifics about what's called original sin, which is the sin of Adam, and original guilt and original pollution, how it makes its way through the human race, um, and how our, this notion of free will is kind of a myth. Um, and, and, and I've got some interesting uh, things that I've been reading uh, that certain biologists and psychologists actually agree with, that free will is kind of this thing that we don't know how to explain or that we use as filler um, uh, when we don't know how to explain certain parts of our biology and our decision-making because everything seems to be kind of... Um, all of our decision-making and our will seems to be kind of constructed and formed by the environments that we live in. And sin, a fallen world, has done that to us, where, where our will is bent towards the bad. It's bent towards sin and choosing sin. So come Friday, um, I'm going to pray for us now, and then we're going to send you out into the discussion groups. Um, I would ask, as always, and encourage you, be um, vulnerable. Invite people into your pain. Invite people into your struggling. Um, you do not have to have it all together in those groups, so please do not pretend to be a super Christian. And if you're not a Christian, don't pretend to be a Christian. You can push back and talk. Uh, it's a safe space, for sure. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we uh, thank you for this time together, and we thank you that you've given us the ability, even when we're uh, separated and distanced, to still continue to learn and to grow and be transformed by the renewing of our minds uh, into the image of God, into the image of Christ, uh, even through our understanding of the brokenness and fall and sin and the things that destroy and tear apart um, your world and your people. So we pray that um, this would begin an exploration into our neediness. Um, it would begin perhaps uh, a righteous and holy comfort in our brokenness so that we can share it honestly with others and that we can look to you and lean into you and live more fully in our union with you that's found in Christ. Father, we... Um, we ask that you will do this, and we trust that you will do this by your Spirit, and we pray in Christ's name, amen.